0: We're nearing the end of our teaching series, This is Jesus, where we're taking a good look at who Jesus is through the lens of the gospel writer, Mark. If you want to follow along with today's passage in your own Bible or your pew Bible, it's found Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44, and that's on page 49 to 50 near the back of the pew Bible. Our story today is a study in contrasts. On the one hand, we have Jesus' condemnation of the scribes, the teachers of the law of Moses, some of the most respected people in society. On the other hand, we have Jesus pointing to the actions of a poor widow, one of the most vulnerable people of society. On the one hand, We have hypocrisy and greed, on the other, hidden faithfulness and extreme generosity. On the one hand, corruption, on the other, pureness of heart. And together these contrasts paint for us a picture of what it can mean to love God with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To begin with, the scribes. We hear a fair bit about this group of people in the Gospel of Mark. They are the intelligentsia, the learned ones, the ones who know the law of Moses backwards and forwards. They're the ones who interpret that law to the people and help show them the way to God. And in return, they are revered and respected only, as Jesus points out in today's passage, they've strayed off the path. The respect that is shown to them has become more important for them than the truth of their calling. The honor of being seen in the best positions has begun to matter a little too much. And they've begun performing their rituals, not for God, but for the sake of anybody watching. What's more, They're using their power and influence to make themselves richer at the cost of the poorest and most marginalized of society. Their practices deliberately oppress the poor, devouring widows houses in Jesus striking phrase. In short, they've become hypocrites, actors playing a role of loving God that has nothing to do with reality. None of this is obvious to the crowd that Jesus is teaching that day. These people look and sound deserving of respect, but Jesus sees deeper. This critique doesn't apply to all of them, of course. A few verses before our passage this morning, one brave scribe goes up to Jesus and asks him, What's the most important of all the laws and the commandments? And Jesus' answer is one that we've actually heard already this morning. The first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To love God with every fiber of your being And to love your neighbor as your very self. These sum up the entire law that the scribes profess to know intimately. And yet, most of them missed both points. They neither loved God nor their neighbors. And what about the widow? It's a striking scene. Jesus is now outside the temple in the court, watching people put money into treasury boxes. Wealthy people are coming and putting in their contributions and I like to think that since there were neither checks nor large bills nor e-transfer possible, they would have been pouring in coins, allowing the sound of jingling to echo through the courtyard. And then after them, the widow comes and she carefully places her two tiny coins on top of the mound of coins immediately to be lost in the pile. But Jesus sees it. He knows that it isn't just two coins to her. It's everything. It's all she has to live on, or as Mark literally puts it, her whole life. The coins that might have kept her fed for another day or two. And she doesn't just put in one of them. Get this, she could have put in one of her two coins, which would have been 50% of all her possessions, an incredible contribution. But she puts in both, 100%. Two tiny coins and yet so much more. There's been an interesting shift in the way this little story is understood over the centuries. Up until very recently, Bible scholars from St. Augustine all the way through John Calvin and beyond have seen this woman as laudable, a beautiful example of what it means to place God at the center of your life, an illustration of loving God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. Most contemporary scholars, however, have seen her as a victim. They've drawn the link between Jesus' condemnation of the scribes who devour widows' houses just a few verses before, and a widow who has nothing to her name. They suggest that this passage is instead a warning against using religious language to call for sacrifice from those who can't afford it unfairly guilting people into giving more than they can afford. And there is certainly truth within that interpretation. The temple system that the widow was offering her life to was supposed to be protecting her. Widows Orphans, foreigners, and strangers, all these are very dear to God's heart. He loves them. And over and over, through his law and the prophets, he tells his people to care for them. His heart is constantly with those in need. And the law of Moses was given not just to teach a love for God, but a love for neighbor, especially the poor and needy. But the very people who were the keepers of God's law The ones meant to teach and model this love had instead turned it for their own profit and gain. The very temple system that was meant to provide for the widows and orphans contributed to their poverty. That much is clear. But does that mean that we write this woman off solely as a victim? I'm wary of that interpretation because it transforms this woman from being someone Whose love for God is stunningly generous, to one who is merely a cautionary tale against oppression. Her agency is removed and the generosity of her action undone. So which is she? Victim or victor? A shining example of generosity or a poor casualty of the temple's corrupt system? I think it's okay to stay in that tension, to be awestruck by her extreme generosity in the midst of her poverty, to honor and be inspired by what she's done and by her love for God, a love that is humbling, and at the same time to hold accountable the system that was contributing to her poverty to ensure that we take this lesson to heart and are caring for those in need in our midst, not increasing their burdens through our own demands or our own religion. But where does that leave us? What does this passage have for us this morning besides a warning and an example? We are a diverse group of people gathered here this morning, both in person and online. We've come from all walks of life. Some of us have more money than we know what to do with, literally. Some of us live month to month, struggling to make the rent. Some of us have great power and some of us feel completely bowed down under the weight of corrupt systems holding us in place. And we're in different places spiritually too. Some of us have been Christians our whole entire lives. And some are still exploring what that might mean for them and are not sure what it means to love God. And that is perfectly okay. Because regardless of our differences, I think there are two things this passage has to offer all of us this morning. And the first is this. Whatever you have to hold out to Jesus this morning... It is accepted and honored and will be used for God's glory. And that may not look like what we assume. One of my closest friends is a community worker in the Dale Ministries down in Parkdale. Their community is comprised of some of the most marginalized and financially poorest people in Toronto. And yet at their Sunday worship service, The time of offering is one of the most beautiful and sacred. Here's how it's introduced each week. Here at the Dale, we believe that everyone in the community has good gifts to give and that every person's gift is valuable. It's important to know that we all have gifts to give, especially if we're having a hard time feeling like we do. If your gift is something that can fit into an offering plate or an offering box, cool. But maybe instead, it's the gift of your time, or doing dishes, or offering a word of encouragement. Whatever it is, your gift is important and will be used for God's glory here in Parkdale. If you want to just offer your gift in prayer, do that. God delights in our gifts, whatever they are. Well, this wonderful invitation has been responded to by some amazing offers of generosity. Sometimes the offering plate holds money. Sometimes it holds other things, a TTC token, a cigarette which would be sacred for Indigenous people, or a pack of pencil crayons, or a note folded up saying that the person plans to do dishes at the community dinner on Monday. All of these gifts are precious. All are appreciated. All are used by God for his glory and to bless the giver. Or what you might have to offer this morning may look completely different. It may be your honest questions and doubts and concerns about God or yourself. It may be your love for someone or something that is coming in between yourself and God. It may be fear or pain or anger. Whatever it is, you can be sure that it is not lost in the heap of other people's coins or prayers or offerings. It is seen and valued and held safe in the love of God. And the second thing that I think this story holds for us this morning is this. The gospel writer Mark is a master storyteller, and he ordered his accounts very specifically, and he used his words very specifically. Immediately after our passage this morning comes Jesus' prediction of the destruction of the temple, which Tyler preached on last week. The destruction of the system That was so corrupt and broken. And Mark's particular wording and the way he carefully places this little story of the widow between the corruption of the scribes and the destruction of the temple, it's more than just an example of generosity or a cautionary tale. It's a foreshadow of what's to come. Just as this woman laid down her whole life for something that was corrupt and condemned, so too A few days later, Jesus would give his whole life, all he has to live on for a corrupt and condemned humanity. He would offer up himself, pouring out his life to give us a new way to meet with God, not through the old broken system of temple sacrifices and offerings, but through himself. And in place of the old temple, Christ is raising up a new temple, one formed not of buildings, but of people. People with the Holy Spirit living in us, who are learning together how to love God and love our neighbor, to care for the poor among us and the widow and the orphan, to work for justice for the oppressed, to lift our voices for those who are voiceless, and to give love to those who are lonely we are invited to offer up ourselves, souls and bodies, for the love of a God who sat in a temple courtyard and watched a widow offer up her whole life in two small coins, and then who turned around and offered his whole life on the cross. This is amazing love. This is Jesus. Amen.